let's take um, maybe a minute or two just sit quietly after all that discussion. So um, I wanted to uh, leave some time open now um, for any questions uh, you might have or concerns you might have that's related to this class that we've talked about so far, or, um, you know, with the ceremony itself. Well, the ceremony itself I'll describe in a little bit, but with anything that um, you'd like to ask, yes? some insight on about beginning of this year um, it might have been in Myrna Naster's wise speech class she had us do an exercise there on the five precepts and basically the exercise was to discuss them and then identify individually which one of the five precepts that you had the hardest time you know putting into practice consistently and in the group I was in, and I think almost universally in the room, what it came up was that everybody had trouble with the wise speech precept. And that made a degree of sense to me. But as I was thinking about this over this last week, and in some degree, 
Sorry, I'm getting long-winded here. I'm getting to a point. But <laughs> it was, uh, I realized that the, the final three precepts of um, sexuality and um, not lying and then the intoxicants were all um, things that I personally had a lot of choice around, you know, almost complete choice on those. I could choose not to talk or whatever. But the first two, and especially the first one, kind of really spun me into a little bit of a dilemma because... I realized that to really take the first one, especially not to not kill to, to the letter that it probably is meant to be taken, that probably to do that I would need to be put in jail or something because I realized that, you know, just as a person in my normal course of life of providing for my family, you know, clothes, food, shelter, you know, you have a job, you get a paycheck, and out of your paycheck comes a lot of dough for taxes which goes into a military industrial complex which really seems that you know indirect indirectly directly or however you want to look at it you know i am paying a good chunk of money into killing a lot of people around the world you know and so that's a dilemma that really that really struck me and that really bugs me you know and so i don't know sort of how to reconcile that <laughs> i guess is my dilemma a great question the um So I don't know if I'm supposed to or should try to reconcile it for you. Maybe it's maybe it's better to leave it, you know, as a, something you keep looking at and questioning, and letting as you question it, hopefully the best parts of you come out. And, you know, you, that part of that the, the, your, good, your, your best quality, your ethical side, will keep growing as you keep questioning and will become clear. The line will keep shifting. The um, um, at the time of the Buddha, when he was alive, uh, there was a, another uh, spiritual tradition in India which has survived down to the present time called uh, Jainism. And uh, it's often, Buddhism is often contrasted with the Jains around this uh, the precept of not killing. And the Jains had a very strict attitude about not killing. And their idea was to try to do everything they could so they weren't in any kind of way involved in killing any beings at all. And so they would um, uh, often, um, you know, they, if they would, uh, some of them, if they were walking, the monks would walking in the street, they'd go with a little whisk in front of them, brushing to make sure there were no insects they would step on, for example. And, um, uh, and they would uh, filter the water. Buddhists did this. All Buddhist monks would also do where they'd filter the water so that to make sure they weren't uh, killing any living things that was in the water, that, you know. So there were people. There was a very high sensitivity to not killing. Um, but um, the contrast with the giants is the giants tried to avoid all killing, in, no matter what. Um, the precept of not killing meant you don't kill whatsoever. But for, uh, for the teachings of the Buddha, the precept of not killing meant no intentional killing. So if you if you uh, you know go out of here today and there's an ant walking across the sidewalk, and you don't even see it and you step on it and kill it. It's very unfortunate, and the last thing we want you to do is kind of just, you know, whistling down the street after you killed some being. Right? You should feel some remorse, some feel a little bit off, but um, um, uh, you're not breaking the precept because it was not intentional. But if you saw that ant and said, "I'm going to get it," then you've broken the precept if you stepped on and kill it. So, uh, with uh, you know, paying taxes for the military industrial complex. Um, 
in his, from that analysis, uh, you wouldn't be breaking the precept because it's not your intention to do that. You you know, it's not your intention to kill. It's not your intention for your money to be used in that kind of way. However, you're, you know, you're required by law to do that, and you know, otherwise you go to jail. So, in a sense, that gets you off the hook a little bit. But uh, uh, at least in terms of breaking the precept. But if a person wants to live a life that's harmless, then the standard is actually higher than uh, the precept. And so then the question is, you know, what are you going to do about that? And I had one teacher who um, who put his um, uh, money he would have paid in taxes, he he put in escrow. And he he sent a letter to the IRS saying, the money's there. (laughs) And as soon as you can tell me that... um, the money will not be used for military purposes. It's yours. <laughs> and until you can, you know, until you can tell me that, it's just going to sit there in that, you know, bank account someplace. Now, I think the, I don't know what happened to him, but I think the government has. Uh, I mean, I don't think anything legal happened to him, but I think the government has very creative ways of just um, opening up bank accounts if they feel it's theirs. <laughs> um, so, um, but that, you know, that was one choice he made. Um, so the precept, the precept, and the and the principle of not harming have a little bit different. Can have different standards. Is that helpful at all? You sort of reason that. I guess the, the only thing. The only. The only thing, as I thought about it, you know, with the intention thing. I mean, there's, you know, things you know that you do and things sometimes you know you don't do but those are all in the the realm of knowing and your intentions work real good around that but there's a lot of things you don't know you don't know and so if you don't if you step on an ant you don't know it well okay your intentions may be cool but I know that I pay my taxes for this thing yeah. and that's what bugs me because it's still a, you're, you're knowingly in this mode where you know it's going to that yeah that's what bothers me yeah yeah it bothers me too to a great extent and um uh, so for me, I mean, I, I, I struggle with this every year. You know, what, what do I? I feel very bad about this, but um, I pay so little taxes now that I feel that <laughs> that's that's one solution. <laughs> and um, the um, so any other questions? Yeah. Uh, I had the same kind of dilemma about killing as, as you do, in that what do you do about animals that are harmful, for example, yellow jackets and, and bees and wasps, if you're severely allergic, and so they, you know, I need to keep my yard free, or rats, or mosquitoes. Things that can be extremely harmful. Yeah, they could be. The um, so so I think it's often helpful not to think in black and white terms around these kinds of questions. So if the intention is to uh, live a life that's not harming, then um, there might be other solutions to try try besides killing, and uh, the yellow jackets or the mosquitoes or whatever. So um, you know if you have a sitting water on your property. You know, you know, you, you, before using poison on the mosquitoes, you should probably go out and try to clean up the sitting water so they're not breeding mosquitoes. So that kind of idea, that you see what you can do. 
um, you know, we had uh, we had we used to have an ant ant problem. We used to live up on Skyline, and um, also mice. We had lived in an old barn up there, and uh, and we first moved in we with mice, and so we um, so we never got any traps. We never killed anything. What we did was we were just impeccable in keeping the kitchen clean, and uh, and uh, we did never had any problem after that once we were careful. So, so there's, you know, so that kind of thinking, you know, what can I do here? What can, what can I do that's creative? And try to avoid this. Uh, try to, you know, this you know, need to kill. And then if it becomes absolute, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe you have, at some point you feel like you have no choice. Um, but, you know, I think we have often more choice than we realize. Sometimes I've, um, when we have mosquitoes in our house. My son gets really big allergic reaction to mosquitoes, so it's an issue for us at our house. And um, so we try to keep the windows closed when it's mosquito season and keep them out at dusk. You know, so we try to do what we can. Um, but uh, when a mosquito finds its way in the house, uh, what I'll often do is I'll try to kind of do this creative way of trying to catch it and then uh, take it outside, release it outside. It's not going to bite me in those few seconds. I don't know if that helps, but in the end, maybe you have to go. Actually, there is this contraption you can buy that that is operates on a suction thing that you can hold up to the spiders and whatever else is in the house, and it sucks them in, and you can take them outside. So that's beautiful. Kind of that's great. And have a heart mouse traps are great. And the problem with that sometimes is you're giving the problem to someone else. <laughs> maybe not here. Here, there's all kinds. You can give it, you, you don't have to drive so far, you know, to be up in the woods or something, but. When I lived in San Francisco, and we had a have a hard mouse trap, and and uh, we didn't have any in my car, so we just took them to a park. The mice, and I figured, well, <laughs> kind of unfortunate, I guess. The park, you just find some other house to go to. So what what inspires me is not is that people are motivated to ask these kinds of questions and are trying to find alternatives, and in the end, that people decide to do what they do, and. Uh, because I don't know why. When I was, um, I don't know if it was the right decision, but when I was at the monastery in Tassajara, um, I was the gardener for a while. And as, at least uh, while I was tracking things at Tassajara, it seemed that uh, the administration would leave it up to the gardeners. Whoever was the gardener to be responsible for deciding what to do about the gophers. And, uh, and you know, whether to let the gophers have the garden. <laughs> Or to kill the gophers, and um, and some gardeners decided to somehow just do the best to try to get to grow a garden. But if the gophers got it all, then fine. And some gar- gardeners would choose to put traps there to catch the gophers and kill them. And I know some gardeners who decided to uh, to kill the gophers felt there was a trade-off. It was kind of lesser of two evils instead of a trade-off between two different kinds of life. And they felt that it was, in a sense, it was kind of life in the garden that was valuable, it had some sort of kind of value. I don't know who made the right decision, but I know, you know, there in the monastery, people were struggling with that question, and some people went, fell on one side, and some people fell on the other side. I know at Green Gulch, when I lived there, they used to have chickens when they first got there in the early se- late 70s, and um, and at some point they decided it was un- it was unethical for them to have chickens because uh, it's uh, either you have a, a uh, uh, at some point chickens stop laying eggs, and then you either have a chicken retirement home 
<laughs> or you eat them or do something like that. And so what, they didn't kill the chickens there, eat them there. What they did was there were some uh, people in the city, uh, kind of poor people who knew about chickens and uh, they would come out and we'd put them in burlap bags and they would take them into the city and do what they do with chickens in the city. And uh, so it was not in our hands in a sense. But then they decided this wasn't, didn't make sense either. So eventually they stopped having chickens so they wouldn't have to deal with these questions of life and death. And um, so, I mean, so you know, also a question, you know, what about dairy products? You know, dairy products you know, in and of itself, maybe it's fine. But uh, generally, dairy products, uh, uh, the whole dairy industry is kind of built on the fact that uh, animals get killed. You need the, 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 the cow has to get pregnant. Half her kids are going to be bulls. And bull, the lifetime of bulls is not very long, usually, unless they're really something. <laughs> Bullish. <laughs> and, um, and so usually a bull lives about a year and a half. So, you know, built into that whole system is, is um, killing. So, you know, are we also then kind of participating in that when we have dairy products? So, um, so these are all questions. Some people get out of them by saying, well, it's not my intention. And some people feel that's good, not good enough. It's a little bit kind of sidestepping the responsibility. Yes? You have an issue with what? Say if I have an issue with the killing portion. Yeah. And I said, well, I can do all the pieces, but I can't do the killing because I actually am not going to give up meat. Yeah, right. Is that a possibility? Or you oh, yeah. accept all five at one time? No, no, no. You, yeah. I think, what, uh, I, I think you should accept all five, but that's what you should decide uh, what you want the five to mean. So, um, so maybe it means that you're not going to kill you know, four-legged animals. Or maybe it means, you know, or two-legged animals, or, you know, you know or I don't know what, but you're not going to be involved in killing. And, um, um, you know, but if meat comes your way, for many years I was a very strict vegetarian, but I'm kind of a little bit lapsed now, a lapsed vegeta- vegetarian, uh, because if meat ends up, uh, comes on my plate, now I'll eat it. It used to be I wouldn't touch it if it was my plate, but now if it's there, I'll eat it. I don't really feel, I don't necessarily feel that then I'm really breaking the precept when it's there. I feel a little bit sad to throw it away once it's there. So, is that a good enough answer for you? So, you, you decide for yourself. So, take the first precept, but decide what you want it to mean. So, you have something that you live by, some reference point. And um, now, part of the principle, of course, of the, all these precepts is um, in living by them, it's not you know, a moralistic rule that now you're going to try to you know, be a moral person doing this, but rather the precepts are attempts to bring out the best in you, to bring out your goodness. And uh, the question, you know, so what, how, is, how is it you want your goodness to, um, to grow and be strong? And, and what are the values that you carry with you uh, in relationship to that, those, those principles that are behind uh, the precepts? And... Uh, I think to, to engage in these kinds of uh, very deep and very important questions about values, the values we stand behind, the reasons why we do what we do, um, and uh, be very conscious and clear about it is, a, I think, a very, very valuable way of living a life. And 
again, what people decide, you know, that's people. I'm happy people decide for themselves. But my job, I feel, is to help people or encourage people to reflect on these issues. Let me describe to you a little bit the uh, ceremony. Um, was someone else? You have a question? Did you? Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, so the ceremony is. Um, um, so what happens is, so it's on the twenty-first, right? So a uh, week from Friday, and uh, we'll have a potluck first, and um, I think is a great way of just kind of sharing the times together with your community here and um, warming up for our ceremony. And uh, we'll come here and open up at 6 o'clock. And so this potluck can start between 6 and 6.30, so-so. And then uh, we'll, we'll um, you know, like it is for Sunday, if you've been here on Sunday, we'll set up tables at an outer, outer hall and chairs and, and um, maybe buffet table where we can lay the food down that you bring. And then, um, and then it's, you know, maybe quarter after 7 or so, um, Will or sometime we'll start. We'll do cleanup, cleanup that they fold the food, and then by 7:30, hopefully, or so, somewhere there, we'll come in here, and uh, we'll start with a short sitting, or sitting. And um, and after the sitting, um, um, I'm not sure exactly the sequence because I haven't decided exactly how we do this time, but. Um, uh, the elements will be at some point I'll give a little talk and then we'll take a break and then during the break uh, you're going to uh, you're going to have as part of the ceremony I'm going to be giving you some things and um, but also you're going to be giving some things in return not exactly in return but you're going to be giving things also and the thing you'll be giving is candles so I want you everybody, everybody who comes to wants to be part of the ceremony uh, to bring two candles and if you want to bring flowers, that's also nice. But uh, you don't have to do that. But you have to bring candles, two candles. And um, one candle is an offering to the Buddha. So uh, at some point in the evening, uh, you'll light your candle. Because you're, what you're, when you're offering candles to the Buddha, what you're offering is light. And light is pretty precious. We kind of take it for granted now. But back in his time, uh, you know, they didn't have electricity. And having light to be able to see was quite precious. And... Also symbolically, the idea of light to see, it works really well for Buddhism because that's what we're trying to do is to see clearly. So we're offering light to the Buddha. So we'll light, um, I have all these candles lit. You know, it's be hopefully quite beautiful. Um, and uh, maybe someone can be the fire marshal. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to volunteer. And, um, and then... Um, and then... Um, we will uh, do the ceremony proper, which will entail um, chanting the, ref- uh, the salutation to the Buddha, the refuges, and uh, the precepts. And after, um, oh, and then as part of that, I'll pass out um, a protection cord, which is a Buddhist, it's a red, red string that you, you can wear around your neck. And the protection cord, I'll talk a little bit about it at the ceremony, what it means and what it's about. 
you're welcome to, once you take, put it on, as soon as the ceremony's over, you're welcome to take it off. And you're not required to wear it. But some people wear it for months, and, you know, wear it for a long time. You see some people, I have actually one here. This is a white protection cord on my wrist that I tied on uh, when I chanted the precepts and refuges at the Spirit Rock family retreat. <laughs> and with my son, my seven-year-old son, we went there today, this, this summer. And uh, it's still on. Um, and um, and then we will um, when that's all done then uh, uh, I'll teach you a little chant some of you might know it it's, uh, it's a chant in Pali that says uh, in English would say uh, may all beings be happy and it, in the Pali the, the words are um, sabe sata suki hontu Sabe sata suki hontu. And so I'll teach you how to do it. You'll get it, the hang of it pretty quickly. And then we'll chant that together. And then um, I'll call out your names. And I'll probably call you out two or three at a time. And then you come up to where I'm sitting uh, with your second candle. And uh, you give me that candle. And then I give you what I have to give you. And then you go back, and then I call the next person. That's why I need to know your names, so I can call you up. If you don't have your name, you can't call you up. And um, and uh, and then we do that, and then um, and then there's a few closing words, and that's the evening. Yes. Oh, oh yes, please. So. Um, no, they don't have to be freestanding, but, it, but, uh, but the one you're going to light for the Buddha, it has to somehow stand. So either you bring a, um, a candle holder or you know, some, something so it doesn't drip. You know, so some, some, make sure we don't want it dripping on anything. So some kind of holder or a little cup or something that will hold it. Uh, the one you give to me can be free. You know, just, just, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be... Doesn't have, I'm not expecting candle holders. <laughs> you know. No, no, no. The one you, that just I just take home with me. It's, <laughs> it's a gift to, to me. That's a, you know, and it can be you know. It doesn't have to be you know fancy candle. It can just. It's more symbolic. It's a symbolic of uh, aspect of you know gift of uh, as part of the ceremony. And um, so it can be a very simple candle. And. Um, Now, I don't know. Yes? Um, is there a place where we can uh, find the chant or the, the, um, the phrase that we chant for Buddha? Oh, yes. Um, it appears in many places. Um, um, I, could, I could arrange for it to be sent out on our IMC listserv, or I, IMC, what's it called? Insight Announce or Insight Forum? Do you get that? You on that? No, but I can find that. I don't know if it can happen that quickly. But it's easy. I know. I don't know how the website thing happens easily, but I can certainly get it. Uh, but maybe, maybe it can be done together with. I guess these talks are on the Dharma. I can be linked there. So I'll try to put it up either some one of those two places, and then um, and um, okay. Yes. Can you say more about what the protection cord means? The protection cord is um, 
is uh, really important because all of us need protection and the person we need protection from most is ourselves <laughs> and so it's um, what the protection court is primarily doing is, uh, is uh, as we chant as we chant the refuges then it fin- we finish chanting, chanting the refuges the refuges are, are an intention and when you finish chanting that intention then you tie a knot in that cord to mark your intention and then when you finish chanting the, re- the uh, precepts you tie a second knot and it and um, and to symbolize your intention there. So the protection cord is a, uh, is a cord to remind yourself when you wear it of your intention. Uh, intention of going for refuge, intention for the, for the precepts. So that's the mystical meaning. And it doesn't have any, you know, that's, that's my understanding of it. And, and um, you know, it's... Uh, and I think uh, even though it's a little bit, you know, a joke, or t- people laughing, so it protects you from yourself, I, I think there's something very profound about that statement also. And, um, and that's probably you know, the most realistic place where you can really get prote- protection from. You can't really be protected from illness or earthquakes. or it's a lot of things you can't really be protected from, but um, you can be protected from how you relate to the world and how you react and respond and all that. And, and, uh, and that's really kind of the crux of Buddhist practice is if you understand that responsibility or that place where you can uh, take care of yourself. Um, the five precepts. Is wise speech in there? No, it's uh, one of the, the the fourth precept is no lying. But it's very very uh, teachers of uh, the precepts are very quick to expand the meaning of the or just to, when they try to explain it to say that it includes no harsh speech, no um, slanderous speech, and no idle speech. Because a wise speech, um, you know, it's one of the eightfold path. Why speech is no lying, no harsh speech, no slanderous speech, and no idle speech. So sometimes those are conflated. And um, yes. Oh yes, please bring anybody you want to. They can come along and they can witness quietly on the on the side if they want, or they could uh, participate in a the sense. They can get a protection cord and participate. They just won't come up and do the whole little formal thing they do with me up in front when I call out your name because the only people down the, cl- down the class will do that. Um, so they're kind of just doing it inform- informally. You're doing it a little more formally. But yeah, please. And also, yeah. Can we come if we, can we do the whole ceremony if we miss class? Yeah, yeah. You can do that. It would be nice if you listen to it. I think the second class, starting second, third, and fourth class is on the web now. But, but yeah, you can come. And... Um, and uh, now, I don't know when it's going to end. I mean, I, I think it says somewhere it's supposed to be from 7.30 to 9, the ceremony. Um, so I don't know if you need to get babysitters or something, what happens. But it would be good if you can just could be kind of just be open-ended about the evening. Um, and um, and uh, remember that the Thai tradition, the Theravada tradition often has all-night sits. And, <laughs> you know, you know it's, part of, it's part of the tradition. And... and, um, and uh, I mean, if you just remember that, then when we get to 9:10 or 9:15, you'll be a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to go all night, but I don't I don't want to feel cramped suddenly try to finish by nine if it's you know taking longer. I'd like to feel relaxed about it all. Yes. Do you prefer unscented candles? Oh, I do. Yes, please. Thank you. I prefer unscented candles. If that's possible, that'd be much preferred. My. 
Yes. I never heard that. Uh, I mean, I, uh, sometimes when people get ordained as um, Buddhist uh, monks or nuns, I mean, then they shave your head. Um, but a symbolic cutting, uh, I mean, it's, got, it's kind of a nice touch if you like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bring your, bring your scissors and I'll, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of a nice, kind of a nice idea. I'm just a little, you know, you know it's a symbolic, a symbolic, symbolic kind of renouncing of certain things, letting go. Renouncing of vanity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you can do that. It's up to you. It's up to individuals what they want to do. But it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So, uh, what else am I forgetting? Oh, so if you didn't sign the, the sheet of paper last week, I need to know your name if you can be part of the ceremony. And, um, and you need to write your name uh, with block letters really, really clearly. It's really important. And uh, there's, a, there's a pad of paper on the table by the door. And if you hadn't signed up last week, please sign up today. And, um, and also, if for some reason you don't want to go through the formal ceremony, you're more than welcome to come also, and just either to witness or be, do it, to go along informally. Um, it's really up to you uh, what your participation is. And, um, but I'm very happy that um, so many of you came to this refuge class. It's, uh, I think, maybe the biggest refuge class we've had, and uh, it's very meaningful for me and inspiring that so many, so many of you are interested in this and that it would have meaning for you. And I, would, uh, I l- very much look forward to Friday evening when we do the ceremony and us getting together and it's kind of a celebration also celebration of our goodness and good intentions and something really precious that hopefully we all touched touched or appreciate and so uh, hopefully we'll have a joyous time anything else thank you very much